listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad we're here together. I'm glad there's a here to be in the first place. I'm always aware of the great good fortune that we share in being part of that infinitesimally small percentage of matter and energy in the universe that has consciousness, at least as far as we know. At least maybe they, maybe it all has consciousness and we're just not aware of it. But but we, we, we know we know each other and, and we and, and we can we can see awareness, we can see consciousness. We can't define it, but we we know it when we see it. And I'm glad we're in it. And I think I'm I'm especially aware of that right now. Um, because, you know, a lot of you know that my folks are struggling right now. My dad's had this bad stroke and he's, he's COVID locked down. And my mom has been up and down and all around. And she's been in the skilled nursing unit with him. And, and now she's, she's actually at the hospital right now. She'll be coming back in a few weeks. And it's just, it's just been hard on my folks. And I think I'm really aware um, that it is sometimes, sometimes life has a way of kicking us around to the point where we can actually lose our appetite for it. Um, and when that happens, it's so strange and so kind of awkward because you know, people are saying, hey, don't you want this? And hey, don't you look forward to this? And come on, let's cheer up. We've, we've still got this to look forward to. And it's sort of like when you're nauseous and no food sounds good to you. And somebody says, but this is your favorite food. And they're like, I know, but I'm sick. I don't want it. I don't want anything. I can't imagine ever wanting to eat anything again. And I think there are, there are mindsets that people get into and where they get overwhelmed in a way that they they can't see the wonder and they can't feel the privilege and they aren't hungry for the experience, even though in the back of their mind they know like I should be. And and they were and we reproach ourselves sometimes for not having the appetite that we think we ought to have, that it is right and appropriate to have. And all I can say is if you are among the lucky ones who is not only alive, but glad to be so, I think you should recognize that as a, as, as a privilege on top of a privilege. And uh, we need to be more sensitive. We, we all need to be more sensitive. I, I, and if I, you say, where's this coming from? I mean, partly it's my folks, partly it's that a really close friend of ours um, died yesterday of COVID friend of ours here in Cincinnati, Marty and mine, her, her best friend, one of her very closest friends, uh, husband, who was a dear man and dear to all of us. Um, and he was kind of in the same place of life that I'm at, you know, a long marriage and getting better all the time. And he had kids he loved and he had his first grandchild and he was all excited. And, you know, he was susceptible to COVID because of some lung damage he had had through pneumonia earlier in his life. And he and his wife got it and she recovered and he didn't. And it was very sudden and very swift and very sad. And uh, 
It's funny because we're all talking about COVID all the time and we're taking chances sometimes or scoffing at other people for being so upset about it. And we're saying, ah, you know, it's, it's, if, even if you get it, it's probably just the flu. And some people are going, no, no, it's the worst thing. And all I can say is no matter where you are in that discussion, you have that discussion one way when it is academic and when it is theoretical and when it is statistics in the newspaper. And it, and it, just, it just feels different when it comes really close into your circle. And I just want to encourage all of us to be careful. I'm not saying that you're wrong or that you need to change your mind about anything. I'm just saying, just be aware that for a lot of us, we're having this discussion in a way that the impact of COVID and all the restrictions are very real to us, but the impact of the disease itself, we've avoided directly. And I just know it feels different thinking and talking about COVID right now to me because of what happened to my friend. And so, yeah. And, and you say, is this just another version of what you're always doing? And like, I, got, I guess so. It is another version of this whole idea of people are having different experiences than you. People are able to believe things or unable to believe things or have to believe things that are different than you. It's just this whole idea of have a little humility even if you're right, you're probably not thinking what you think because it's right. You're probably thinking what you think because of where you are and who you are and how you were raised and what you got exposed to. And so if you're lucky enough to be right, um, you should be a little bit humble about that. Uh, it is not as big an achievement as you might think. Um, and, and maybe that's not the worst lead in to today. I'm going to share a conversation I, I, I just had recently with David C. Smalley. And there's a whole circle of really prominent atheist thinkers and, and pundits and podcasters and writers. He is unique among them in that there's a lot of people, you, and you know that one of the reasons that I'm not in that world is because that whole approach of kind of adversarial relationship with believers is just not where I'm at. It's not where a lot of us are at. But... I've gotten so much out of those people and they've done so much good in the world um, for people like me and make, and created space for me that I, I'm just, I, I don't have a negative thing to say about them either. But David C. Smalley is in that world, loved by those people, the kind of the harder core atheists. But he is famous for running this podcast. It used to be called The Dogma Debates. And now it's just the David C. Smalley podcast. But what it is, is he spends hours, like two, three hours at a time sometimes, talking with believers who have signed up to talk with him, and they're trying to win him over to a different way of thinking, and he's trying to win them over. And I wouldn't have the patience to do that for like 10 minutes. I, I wouldn't say that we end this conversation exactly lockstep, but boy, I like this guy and I respect this guy. And he is one of the warm and loving people in the world. And I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna really dig learning about why some of the people that are engaging in conversation in a way that I'm not, why it makes sense to them and why in a weird way it makes sense to me too. So 
we've been doing this whole thing about like, how do you have a good relationship with people who think differently than you? We've been trying to hit that from a different angle. And believe it or not, this is a really good angle. And and David C. Smalley has a way of talking to your Christian family and friends or your Trumpy family and friends or your anti-vaxxer family and friends that is really different than what most of the hardcore people do. And certainly, and even than what I do. This was a conversation that, that, left me thinking and I, and I hope it does the same for you and I hope you like it and I'll catch you on the other side. So the, here you go. Without any further ado, this is me and David C. Smalley chopping it up on Humanize Me. David C. Smalley, thanks for, thanks for coming to talk with me. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You know, I have been aware of you ever since I left the Christian fold. Um, and I'm just so, I'm so pleased to actually be getting to talk to you. Oh, that's cool. Um, Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. You, you've been doing what you do for a while now, haven't you? Yeah. yeah uh, longer than I should have been doing it, I think. Um, recording the podcast piece, this is my 11th year. Um, but in the in the field of, uh, having those really tough discussions and you know getting into that that nitty gritty doing the research having the discussions across the aisle uh 15 16 years maybe I, I think it goes back to the mid 2000s okay so so what I'm kind of curious about just for starters is you're you're sort of like me in the sense like you grew up in this Christian thing right? Yeah, it wasn't super fundamentalist where, you know, in, in my house. My mom was pretty laid back with everything. Um, but there were a few things that would really like spark her. You know, she would I had been taught that there was this giant war being waged for my soul, you know, demons versus angels and God versus Satan. And I was about four years old, and I remember thinking you know, demons are bad because they're taught to be bad. So if we can, you know, get them while they're young uh, and raise them to be right, then we won't have any more evil in the world. And we so, could win them over. Yeah, we could just be nice to them, teach them how to love each other, and then we won't have this problem. And She did not wait for the explanation. Right. And so in my head, I was like, but how can I ever convince my mom to let me bring demons home? And I was like, what if they're really cute? That's what I'll ask. Hey, mom, do you think baby demons are cute? And then blah, 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 there was the soap in the mouth. So yeah, my my approach to, or my my first attempt at peaceful conversation did not go well. And and as a four year old attempting peaceful conversation, I mean, did you ever buy in? Did you ever did you ever buy into the Christian thing? You were raised around it, but did, were, were you ever like the believer yourself? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I always, it's weird, you know, when I, when I, when I talk with Christian, when I have a Christian on the show and they say, Hey man, I'm a man of science. And then they also believe, you know, in Jesus walking on water and healing a blind person with mud and spit and walking across water and the resurrection and Jesus floating to heaven. And then I say, but those things run contrary to science and they have a little bit of that cognitive dissonance. I actually uh, connect with that. I understand where they're coming from simply because 
I was always a skeptic. Like I was always going to the encyclopedia. I was always solving arguments between my mom and my sister with, with facts and data and information and climbing up on the shelf and po point, pointing to words that I couldn't really pronounce, but I knew this was the information they were looking for. I was always that one asking really detailed questions about the Easter Bunny and, well, how can this be happening if this is happening? And I was always inquisitive and skeptical of the things I was taught and sort of cracked the Santa Claus code before I was supposed to. And that was always my way of thinking. But Christianity uh, always seemed to be just a general, you just knew it was true. You know, Christianity was just baked into the knowledge from as long as I can remember. So it took me longer to come out of it. But yes, I was a full on believer. I was a drummer for the music ministry. I was a part of several ministries, drummer at several different churches, and even went to a Bible camp, went to a, a virginity camp as a teenager. Um, yeah, I was I was in pretty deep. So how long did you like at, at what point did you would you say? That was when I was, that was when I, I sort of started my deconversion, or maybe that was when I finished it because it sounds like you were struggling all the way through. I just, I all like some things just wouldn't make sense. And my mom's answer, every time I had a question, and, and I remember I was probably about 10 years old and I was at my aunt's house doing something and she she said I was arguing too much, which I, 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 I get that. You know, I, I think I get that 41, I'm 41 years old. I could still go. Yeah. I could still see that today. <laughs> and I remember, you know, that old saying you'd argue with a fence post, yeah. right? People would say that to someone who just argues to be a contrarian. Well, my aunt said you'd argue with God. And my immediate response was, and I said this out loud, I said, that depends on what God said. And yeah. I wasn't just being a jerk. I was honestly trying to say, like, it, if God were to tell me that, you know, it's impossible for humans to drink water, yeah, I'm going to argue with him. I respect him, but if he's wrong, he's it's, wrong. I know. And it's and, a shame you weren't born a Jew. You would have been. You would have done <laughs> right? so much better in that tradition. Like for our, sure. You know? Yeah, for sure. I get that. And so I remember saying, yeah, it depends on what God said. And the whole family was just like, oh. <gasps> How dare you? And I was like, what? Like, why is it a problem? That was about 10. And then that's little things like that creeped around in my head into my teenage years. And then I remember the first question I ever asked out loud was, so was God or was Jesus the son of God or was he the same as God? Like the, the you know, the, the human embodiment of God or was he God's son? And I was at work. I had a job at a tire shop in my teens, and I remember these two really religious Pentecostal brothers. They 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 kept Bibles on them all the time, and they flipped through the Bible and undoubtedly proved to me that Jesus was the Son of God and that he's a separate entity from God himself. And so I went back to my Baptist pastor, and I was like— <laughs> I was, I was proud. I was like bragging to show my knowledge and I was quoting Bible verses and he was horrified. It like, it's like I was, I had a, a horn growing out of my forehead and he asked to speak, to speak to me back in his, whatever they call it, Jesus chambers or whatever. And so he brings me back to the special red carpeted area and starts flipping through his Bible, showing me completely different verses, which proved without a doubt that Jesus and God are the same. And that the other Bible I had was wrong somehow, or those godly men that I knew at work were wrong somehow. And he thought he won. He thought, like, this is amazing. And really what that did for me, 
is that was a huge blow to any idea that the Bible is the authority because I was like, oh, well, I, if, if we can have something like this completely contradict itself with so much confidence from two people who think they are also believers, we're in trouble. And so I no longer looked at the Bible as like the end all be all. I realized it was up for interpretation and that opened a can of worms. And how long after that did you keep, were you still drumming in the band? Um, I would say probably two or three years. Um, at one point I was actually, at one point I was the drummer for a heavy metal band and I knew I was, I think I was 18, 17 or 18. And I would, I would go out at, you know, Saturday night and play in the heavy metal clubs and they would put X's on my hands cause I was too young to drink. And then I would come stumbling into church at like nine fifty, smelling like smoke and weed I didn't smoke like I, I smoked cigarettes and cigars. I didn't smoke weed at the time, and I just like rolled in smelling awful with a wrinkled white T-shirt on and X's on my hands. And I would play drums for the church on Sunday morning. I'm like, you said come as you are, bro. Get off me. Uh, and so, so that went on for a while because it was just like a part of my life, you know. Um, yeah. But through through the through the challenges, it, it seemed to be um, that I guess. Right around that same time when I got baptized, uh, which was also in my teens, maybe a little bit before I was 18, the pastor said, and I'll never forget it, and I wrote this in my book, it's called Baptized Atheist. This part hit so home with me because as I'm standing in the water, I'm about to be baptized, he says, do you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you may enter the kingdom of heaven? And I said, yes. And then he says, so you are hereby saved in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he closed my nose, and when he dipped me, as soon as I was underwater, I felt like I was under there for 20 minutes. Like I had so many thoughts that time just slowed down. And I was like, why, why would punishing the innocent ever pardon the guilty? It made no sense to me. And I, when, I, when I came up, I was just like, I, I felt like I had been you know, given a jersey and pushed out on the field, and I didn't even know what the sport was. I knew nothing about my team. I didn't feel qualified to be there, and it didn't make me an atheist. It made me feel like an inadequate Christian, and I didn't feel good enough to call myself a Christian. So my goal was to go find out all the, you know, answer all the questions I had, take myself through it, read the Bible cover to cover, actually do a full exegesis hermeneutics, deep dive, understand the original languages, figure out what's happening here, answer the questions so that I can help others come to faith. I was essentially on the path of becoming a preacher or a pastor, and I started making notes for all the things that didn't make sense as I read the Bible. And my whole goal, and I say this in the book, my whole goal was to get closer to God, and I, I got so close I saw that there wasn't one. I saw lots of holes in the Bible, lots of holes in the text, lots of contradictions, interpretation errors, uh, translation sure. errors, and it just unfolded from there. Now, see, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever read anything of Malcolm Gladwell's, but he has that principle of 10,000 hours to master anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I always think, I always think that you know, most Christians don't get their 10,000 hours in. Oh, um, man. No, not but even. guys like you do, like you know, you're like, I'm going to find out, and you know, to to master Christianity is to kind of see through it, mm -hmm. you know, like 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 that. That's why so many pastors 
you know, about 45 years old come to the end of it and they're like, oh no, like, I don't think it's true anymore, but I've got this job. Yep. Um, because, you know, but, but it sounds like you, you, you kind of crash coursed your way to coming out of it. Like what early twenties you came out? Um, came out publicly. I, I started I, calling like, myself an atheist at about 19, I think. Okay. I and, and how long after that was it that you turned around and came back and started having these really hard conversations that you've become so great at having? Uh, probably, I think I was 26 when I created my first blog. Um, and the reason I created it is because everything that I was seeing was really negative. It was really hateful. Um, anything that did exist. And I think at the time, the only two things that I knew of were the atheist experience and uh, the thinking atheist uh, with Seth Andrews. Those are the only two that I knew of. And I didn't, I didn't know these guys. I'd never met them. I was just a guy on the internet looking this stuff up. And I remember my first thought of the atheist experience is I opened a, uh, some video. I don't even know if it was YouTube yet. Maybe it was some video. And I, I saw Matt being really rude to somebody and hanging up on them. And I thought, well, that's making us look bad. And I closed that out. And then I saw a blog for the thinking atheist. I didn't hear Seth yet, but I didn't like the name of it. I saw that it was called the thinking atheist. And I, and I thought, well, that sounds condescending. Like other people who aren't atheists don't think. Come to find out, after years of being friends with him, he hates the name too, and never <laughs> yeah, he did never meant to imply that. And so, at his three hundredth episode celebration in Texas, I roasted him for that, and it was like an inside joke. Um, and made I made up a bunch of other names that he had considered beforehand, and just you know the tallest, sexiest atheist. And I just I just made fun of it um, because we all have those regrets, you know, when you've had a podcast this long. Uh, but you know, I, I didn't like that. And I think, I think maybe Hemet had a blog on the, the friendly atheist and I didn't like that either. Cause I was like, well, distinguishing yourself as a friendly atheist implies the other atheists are all jerks. And I just didn't like how contentious. Yeah, now Hemet's not, far, Hey, but Hemet's not far off on that one. I mean, um, they're, they're, like there are a lot of public <clears throat> atheists who, who make it their business to just be flamingly dismissive and mean to Christians. Uh, mean to other atheists, in fact, too. Oh, and that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you, you're right there. Um, but as far as my early journey, that's what I was seeing. Those are the only few things. Right. And everything seemed contentious. And when I would look at any of the comments below, the atheists were being nasty to Christians. Christians were being nasty to atheists. And, and everything, whether it was Seth's blog or a YouTube thing or something on the atheist experience or something on the, you know, uh, something on American atheists. I get to a, uh, I find a transcript because I'm looking for atheist dialogue with Christians. And I get to this transcript of a Christian geologist versus an atheist geologist. And I go, oh, this is going to be two men of science with different faith backgrounds. This is interesting. And it's a radio debate from 19, I think, 90, 80, 89 or 90. And maybe it's in 95 at the latest, but I almost said 85. It's around that that era, very, very long ago. And I was uh, I was reading through it. I was fascinated. It, 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 it felt like I was a boy who had been raised by wolves seeing his first human. Like I was reading this guy's words and I was going, this, this is my people. 
right? This is where I belong. This guy is saying- it was a genuinely yeah. respectful dialogue. It was respectful. It was based in science. He was listening to the other guy and they were, they were engaging back and forth on an intellectual level that I had not yet seen. And uh, like the guys who were, you know, that I'd mentioned with Matt or Seth, smart guys. And, and, and Seth wasn't really engaging in debates. He was more telling stories. So the people that I was seeing that were talking with Christians were either hanging up on them, calling them idiots, saying they believed in Santa Claus for grownups and being very dismissive. And Christians were coming to those forums and being just as mean, if not meaner sometimes, being really nasty to the atheists. And I thought, there's got to be a better way. And so I reached out to the person who was in that article, and his name is Frank Zindler, and he was with American Atheists. And I just worked backwards from there, showed him some of my writings, ended up getting hired as the editor of American Atheist magazine at the age of 29. And by the time I got there, I had been writing several blogs of my own because my whole deal was I'm going to create a blog for people to come debate their dogma, but do so in a way that is respectful. And if people are nasty, I'm not going to block them. I'm not going to delete them. I'm going to respond to them and ask them if they think that is an efficient way to convince someone that you're right. And that proved to be the most effective strategy for launching me to that next level, because that's what I would do. An atheist would show up, say something terrible to a Christian. I would reply to the atheist and say, look, I agree with your worldview, but talking like that to a believer is not going to be helpful. Do you see any help in someone talking to you that way? And most of the time, they would apologize to the person. They would say, you're right. I just get heated. I feel abused by religion. And then the Christian would go, how are you abusing your religion? And then this amazing conversation would, talk, would start, and the believer would be going, I had no idea people did that with the Bible. I had no idea. That's not Christianity. I don't. And they'd say, well, that's a no true Scotsman fallacy. And we all just learned so much on those forums. And I honestly yeah. started recording conversations because I couldn't respond fast enough to all the comments. So I was yeah, like, it's, it's, you know, let's do an audio version of this so that I can have real-time conversations as opposed to 24 hours at a time trying to respond to 73 comments a day. I didn't have the bandwidth, and so that's how the podcast was born. No, that that makes sense. And, and, you know, I grew up in that world, and my dad was a huge, big deal in the evangelical world, um, a big speaker guy. Uh, still is, you know, just wrote, wrote a million books. And so when I left the faith, um, I, I didn't make a big fuss about it, but somebody found out about it, wrote an article and all of a sudden it was a big story in the evangelical world. And I started getting letters. You can imagine the letters as a, you know, a guy who I'd spent 30 years as an evangelical minister and preacher myself, kind of working my way out. And then my dad's you know, a, a megastar in that world. And so everybody and their brother was wanting to write to me and try to win me back to Jesus or tell me what I was going to hell or whatever they were telling me. But what I found was, is that no matter how mean the letter was, if I wrote back respectfully, the second letter would come in and go like, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have come in that hot. Mm -hmm. Like I'm actually, I'm actually worried, you know, somebody would tell me I was going to hell and I would go like, gosh, you know, I just, I'm sorry that you're, that you're so hurt by what I've done, but I need you to understand, like I'm doing the best I can to kind of live out 
the truth as I understand it. And they would write back and go like, you know, I'm actually struggling very much with my own faith. And I guess I was just so angry at you because it seemed like it's so easy for you to leave it behind. And it's been so hard for me. Have you found that that like one layer beneath hate in like 95% of the people that hate me, one layer beneath hate is hurt or understanding or, 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 or kindness. Like they're not all as mean as they seem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of what pushes that hate or that anger is, uh, like you said, that sort of their own doubt or their own issue. And that builds up an insecurity. If we think about what makes us the most angry, it's insecurities. And so when someone points out or is able to overcome an insecurity that's sort of hovering over us, we fill that gap with resentment. And then when we resent that person, we lash out almost as if attacking you is going to attack my inner demon. It's, it's, it's a lot of what oh, we yeah. see. It's a lot of what we see with homophobia, for example. Some of the people who are the most outspoken anti-gay advocates out there, I say advocate, but you know what I mean? Like just the anti-gay rhetoric, the really hateful stuff, you know, it comes out quite often that they, that they have some sort of, you know, a secret life, you know, in, in, in the gay world and they just don't want to say anything about it. And, and I think that's really unfortunate, but it's a, it's a part of human nature for sure. So, so before we go any further, you know, I think if, 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 if you knew my audience, they're, they're mostly deconverted Christians and they've been drawn over to, to, to kind of the conversation that we're having because I'm not angry at Christians. And in fact, I have really good relationships with Christians. And these are people that like, my wife is still a Christian. My father is still a Christian. My mother's still a Christian. I'm trying to figure out how to make this work. Um, and so there's this whole conversation we're having. And a lot of them, I don't think, are as aware of you as they should be because the original, it's the David C. Smalley podcast now, but it used to be called Dogma Debates. Right. And when I first came into the into the world of sort of secular humanism and stuff, I remember seeing that and going like, that's the last podcast I'll listen to. I would never listen to that podcast because mm -hmm. like, I don't want to be in a constant debate. Those debates never go anywhere. Nothing good happens in them. Like I've been, you know, I've been around that and come to find out that like, I, you know, you want to talk about bad titles for podcasts. And I, like, I, it's not a bad title because you really do <laughs> debate with Christians about, mm. about dogma. But like, it's not like the debates I'm used to seeing. So could you like give me a, like a little bit of a flavor of what happens on your podcast? Like you invite Christians to talk with you. Yeah. So uh, the late, great Vic Stanger, uh, uh, my podcast was the last one he did before he died. And he, I mean, it would be weird if he did one after he died, but uh, the, <laughs> the, he, mine was the last media appearance he made. And he was about to, uh, I think I, I was sending an engineer to his house or he was about to fly to me. I don't remember, but we were about to produce an audiobook for him. We were going to do one together. We were going to do two of them. And it was God in the multiverse and God, the failed hypothesis. And he's a theoretical physicist or an astrophysicist. I, I don't remember. But he was on my show calling in from somewhere, and I think it was Hawaii. And we get through maybe 40 minutes of the conversation, and he says, I have one bone to pick with you. And I said, what's that? And he said, the title of your podcast is wrong. He said, I've been listening, and you should have called this show Dogma Discussions. 
Yeah. He's like, you're, you're yeah. very friendly with your guests and you let them speak and there is no formal debate process and there is no formal debate timing. And, and all of that's a hundred percent true. I, I just picked it because it rolled off the tongue. It had an easy uh, rhythm to it. They both started with D and the words were about the same length. So I knew it would be easy for logos. Um, but the word debate should have never been in there for sure. Uh, if, if I could go back, of course I would change it just like Seth would. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, but when you're, when you're talking I, to these people, you are trying to persuade them and they're trying to persuade you. Yeah. I, I mean, we're, we're both, we both think the other person is a victim of bad ideas. Right. And I, I'm trying to save them. And it took me a while to figure that out. Right. The, the Christian's very clear and upfront. They're here to save me. Right. When they talk to you, they're trying to save your soul. Yeah. They honestly believe with everything in their heart that that your soul is in danger and, and they're here to save you. That's why it's a hard conversation because they have so much at stake. Like like when I'm when I'm talking with an evangelical Christian about this stuff, like if they don't agree with me, I'm fine with like I'm fine. Like as long as they're nice, they can go have a good life and I'll still be happy for them. If I don't end up agreeing with them, I'm burning an everlasting fire. Right. So they have a lot, you know, they have a lot at stake in that conversation. Well, I think we do too, though. And and this is what I want more atheists to embrace. We still have to care what the Christian believes. This concept of just let people go believe what they want and leave them alone. No. Because we share a freeway. And if you let Jesus take the wheel, we're both screwed. <laughs> your beliefs inform your behaviors, and we share a planet. So if you don't respect the earth, if you, don't, if you want to reject climate change, or you want to set an age of accountability, or you think uh, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the Muslim tradition, a grown, a 40-year-old man married a nine-year-old girl. I mean, look, you, you could take these individual things and say, well, as long as you keep your religion at home and don't use it to vote and don't use it on women's decisions about their body and don't tell your kids about it and don't know your, your beliefs inform your behaviors and we share a planet. So I think we have a lot at stake as well, because not only do we need more critical thinkers in the world, we need their kids to solve scientific problems in the future. And when you start off teaching a kid that you know, Noah was on the ark with dinosaurs. That's going to make eighth grade biology class really confusing. They're going to end up drumming in a heavy metal band. There you go. With X's on their hands, like a jackass. <laughs> so, so you're okay. So bottom line, like you're trying to save them and save their future children. And, and they're trying to save you. So, that, so, so you bring them on there and you're both trying to save each other. And understanding that they are trying to save me helps me to not get so offended when they say offensive things, right? Because I know that they are desperate. They're desperate for me to not be caught on fire for eternity. And so the, the conversations get passionate. The conversations get funny. I, do, I am a stand-up comedian and an actor, and I, I travel the country doing a lot of fun stuff. So I, I try to keep it light sometimes. But unfortunately, when you get a little deep into the Bible, some of that's not very funny. But we get passionate. But as long as we both know and we start the conversation by knowing that this conversation starts from a place of love, 
because I'm trying to save you. You're trying to save me. You think I'm a victim of bad ideas. I think you're a victim of bad ideas. Let's have a public discourse so that this conversation can help others and let's see where it goes. So our passion is seen as love, like in a family, as opposed to hateful enemies in group psychology. It's, it's so interesting you say like a family because the place where I counsel the most people who are struggling is when they're having these conversations in their family. It's, 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 I, know, I know quite a few secular people that are like, I can talk with all the other Christians. It's my mother. It's my father. It's my brother. It, these things get rough in the family. Yeah. Um, when you get too close, it, it becomes – so I think it's, it, it's, it's a good strategy sometimes to treat your mom like a stranger. So, and, and, and sometimes it's, it's a good strategy to treat strangers like family. And let me clarify, I end every one of my podcasts by saying, please drive like you know each other. Think about that. If you and I are going somewhere together and I go, Hey, follow me. And then you see me trying to get over, you're going to slow down and let me in. Right. Because you know me. Right. We're on the same team. We're on the same team. But if you don't know me and I have my blinker on, you're like, that dude can rot. Right? Why? Why do we do that? Why, why do we treat strangers like they just don't matter? That's somebody's family member drive like you know each other. And then there are other times where a, a Christian will say something terrible out loud, and rather than just immediately being angry at them, you implore the Socratic method and go, why do you believe that? Where did you get that information? Why do you trust that verse? How do you know the writer of that scripture was telling the truth? And you get inquisitive, but when your mom says a terrible thing, you're like, come on, are you stupid? Like it, you, you, you expect more somehow from your family member and, and they expect more from you. So sometimes I've had to do this with, with people who I first met as strangers, like John Christie is a good example. We, we released a film in 2014, I think, in February of 2014. Um, God, it's seven years ago now that we released a movie. Now, when we first started talking, it was very respectful. It was, he's a Christian filmmaker. I'm an atheist podcaster. We're going to disagree, but we're going to do so respectfully. But then we spent so much time together. I spent time with his family. He spent time with my family. We stayed at each other's homes. We traveled together. We did road trips. We were in the car for eight hours at a time. We got so close that we started getting hateful to one another. We started having screaming matches in the car. And I, I, had to, I had to take a step back and say, wait a minute, this was much more productive when I treated him like a stranger. So that's something I tell my listeners to do sometimes. How would you respond to a stranger who said that and you were in a public forum as opposed to being in your mom's living room? And that makes sense to me on, on, on a very visceral level. Um, I, I guess it all depends on how you treat strangers and how you treat family. What's interesting when it comes to to what you're doing on the show, I guess what's what's weird to me is I started listening, and what I found was, and, and there was a lot of respect, and there was a lot of warmth, and there was a lot of love. But I found myself thinking, and maybe I'm wrong, but like it feels like there's a certain kind of Christian who thinks they're going to talk you into it. There's a certain kind of Christian that would like be like, I'm, I think I might have an angle on this. I get letters from these people like, here's a way of thinking about it that you've never thought of before, as if I mm -hmm. haven't thought of every way and been 
You know, I'm always like, look, I've had re- I've, I had the greatest apologists in this country try to win me back to Jesus. Like, do you really think you're going to, you have the key here? But I think there's a certain kind of Christian who really does think that way. And, and they're not the brightest Christians. Uh, no, I don't feel that way because I don't think belief is necessarily tied to intelligence. I don't either, um, but I think thinking you can talk somebody into a belief is tied to intelligence. Well, I, I really don't position my show that way. I know that it feels like that sometimes from the listener's perspective that we're trying to change each other's minds, but I'm honestly more so inquisitive of how they are able to keep their own belief and reconcile all of these holes that I have. So it comes down to a few things. Either they don't know about that Bible verse that bothers me and I have to tell them. They don't know the original language or what that means. They don't know that that part of the book was is widely seen as a forgery. At, or they've just never thought about, you know, putting J with L. Right, those two has have never been that close together before. There's typically a few letters in between, and so they they just have this gap. And I just remove the gap and say, "How do you reconcile this with this?" And they've never had to think about it. I would say so. Just recently, I had a guy named Fuzz on, who is a microbiologist. He works with a, a, an organization called Reasons to Believe, and Reasons to Believe is um, who's the guy that runs that? Uh, Hugh Ross. Hugh Ross is really well known in that in that group as well. He's written a ton of books. Uh, pretty smart guy as well. He talks a lot about space. He talks a lot about aliens and Ouija boards and and all sorts of things. Uh, again, he's, I disagree. He's in that them. apologist world, he's in that kind of like. Oh yeah, we take on the secularists for you, so send yeah. more money. Yeah, 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 and and I I just you know they I'm on their list you know I'm on the, they send me their stuff I'm actually friends with their publicist and there are still some some pretty smart Christians out there now there are, there are of course the people who rarely crack open the Bible they only get their sources from other Christian sources and those are the people who come on and say things like well if we came from monkeys why is there still monkeys now that person. We started eliminating by having them fill out a form before they come on the show. Okay, you have to go to David C. Smalley. No, I saw I saw that form. Yeah, I saw that form, and I thought, what a good idea. Yeah, because it it helps us. Like I, I've I've gone through forty five minutes of a conversation only to have someone go, "You believe the Earth is a sphere, bro?" And I'm like, "Skirt, hold on, wait, what?" Like a geocentrist was on the show one time, and just like. I have no idea how how he made it through, and and I never knew that he thought the the Earth is literally the center of the of the solar system or the universe. I, I just and I get blindsided with stuff like that. So now we have them fill out the form, and we kind of make sure we don't get those folks on the show. Uh, I recently had a flat earther fill out the form and try to get on the show, and then we had a second screening process. And the questions we asked in the second screening process caused him to reply with, I guess you're not ready for this conversation if you believe in atmosphere or something ridiculous. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're not getting my, you know. You're, you're <laughs> I not am actually not ready for this conversation. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. You're right. I'm not prepared uh, to, to, to talk <laughs> with you on drugs. You're right. I'm, I haven't taken enough LSD to have that conversation. All right. I'm, I, I'm, I feel like I'm, what I'm doing is is exploring how people are able to continue believing uh, despite the problems that jolted me out of my Christianity. Like I'm truly fascinated. 
I'm like, how, how do they continue believing <laughs> well, no, you, with these that's issues? That's the thing. And, and that's the, like, you got out of Christianity early. See, if you were me, you wouldn't be fascinated anymore because I was in it for 45 years. I tried every kind of somersault theologically to stay in it. Um, I, I, I was desperate to stay in it. It was my community. It was my livelihood. It was my sense of identity. And so by the time I left it, I had exhausted all those arguments. Even the Bible teaches that the, that, that the gospel is foolishness to those who do not believe it. Mm-hmm. And never was a truer verse written, and and so like I'm I'm fascinated by your fascination. I'm like, <laughs> you know, how can you stay so patient? There's something that you've got a handle on, which is how to stay curious about other people, even when you've completely come to the conclusion that they that that they're that they're off the reservation, and and I'm trying to figure out like. How do how do you cultivate that level of curi- curiosity? I just have mommy issues. Uh, I think I'm trying to save my mom. <laughs> like every conversation, I'm just trying to convince my mom. I, I get people say all the time, "I don't believe in saints," but if there was one, I think it should be you. I cannot believe your patience level. And I go, I'm the guy that throws the remote across the room when it doesn't work after three clicks. Like I don't have patience. I will but just. You're eleven years. You know, you're you're eleven years into a conversation that, in many cases, is a complete waste of time. And I'm, oh, just, I'm like, that's a great point. So it's not. So here's the thing. It may appear that I'm trying to convince that person to change their mind. And when we started this conversation, I almost corrected you when you asked when you first said that. And I, I decided to go with my answer about, you know, starting trying from, to save them. Sta- you told yeah, me you were save, trying to save them. Right, right. But I'm not just trying to save them. It's more so for the people listening. There are thousands. For the Christians listening or for the secularists listening? Yes. So for the secularists, it's, it's how to have these types of conversations with people in your circles who say these um, these ridiculous things. Here's how not to flip out. Here's how to respond to them. And for the believers, the catch is I ask a question that the believer has also thought of, and then my guest who is a believer fails to answer that question in a sufficient way that even satisfies the believer listening. So the believer's going, oh, I've always had that question too. I wonder what this guy's going to say about that. And when the believer or the apologist or the author or the Christian with a PhD or whatever comes back with an answer that's terrible or that, that lacks sufficient evidence, the believer then goes, wow, that didn't do it for me. I'm going to go look this up. That's and why you let it run for three hours. That's exactly You're- why I let it run for three hours. Because there are believers who agree with the person's overall worldview, but completely disagree at how they're justifying it. And so inevitably, after every show, I will get an email from another Christian that says, that believer wasn't a true Christian. Have me on your show, and I'll have you bowing a knee before Jesus. And I go, and I go, here's a link to the form. Yeah, yeah no, man, you, you, you have an endless supply. If you get born into it, like you said, it's as real as water. Like it's just in the atmosphere and you don't necessarily need any reasons underneath it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, you know, then when you start looking for reasons, that's that's where the trouble comes. And 
I guess I'm, this is really interesting to me. I I mean, because, you know, I always thought when I would go to the real debates and I would see them like Matt Dillahunty against like Josh McDowell, um, I'm like, they're each of them only talking to their own audience. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the only one they're listening to. And nobody, nobody ever leaves a debate with their mind changed. No. But they walk away from listening to the podcast after six, seven, 12 episodes and email me and go, okay, man, I was a devout believer when I started listening and you've changed my mind. But what they really mean is it's your guest changed my mind. <laughs> what I say back to them is you weren't that devout of a believer. You would have never listened to my show to begin with. <laughs> right, right. And number two, give yourself the credit because you did the hard part. I just gave you an avenue. And number yeah. three, my guests, terrible answers. You saw yeah, Christianity yeah. fail to meet the mark over and over and over. And you only saw that because I gave them. Okay. Room. So if, if I'm in my family and I'm going home for Thanksgiving and they're going to try, like, we're going to get into it. Like we always get in it. Not me, but like my listeners, like if, if I'm hearing you right, what David C. Smalley is saying is, is ask more questions. Absolutely. Ask them to elaborate on that point. Just be, be, just really be interested. Yep. That's it. So I want your listener to think of this. Think, remove religion from it altogether and imagine that, think, not even imagine, think back to a time, because I know everyone's experienced this, where you've had a problem, you, you've been unsure of what to do, or you can't find your keys, or you can't figure out how to approach a problem at work, or you don't know what to say to your boss about this issue. So you get on the phone with someone, and you're pacing around your house, and you're on the phone, and you're talking and talking, and you have a friend on the other line that's listening, and you're talking, and you're talking, and you're talking, and you're talking, or maybe you've been the person listening before, where you pick up the phone, and someone's bitching and bitching and bitching, and you're just listening, and you're waiting, and they talk and talk and talk, and somehow they find a solution to what they're saying, right? Or you, as you're talking and talking, or you go out to have a beer with a friend and you're bitching yeah, about the yeah. guy at work and you talk and talk and talk, there's not much of a conversation going. You're just talking and venting and then you work yourself into a solution to go, that's it. I'm brilliant. I figured it out. Because talking about it is going to help you figure it out. Why is that? E.M. Forrester said, how do I know what I think until I see what I say? And that's the way many people operate. So Christians will say that they believe things. You believe the Bible is the complete word of God? Absolutely. What about this part? This is a man and a donkey had a conversation. Oh, well, I mean, not the whole Bible. Some of it is fictional or some of it is interpreted. Okay, which parts? Oh, wait, hold on. You know, now we're, 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 we're asking questions. It's, it's a Socratic method of challenging and asking questions in a respectful way because the key is not my question. The key is not my fact. The key is not me bringing an evolutionary chart and saying creationism is bullshit. The key is not to show up to an emotional discussion with a bunch of facts and books. The key is that believer opening their mouth, attempting to answer a question they've never considered. That's where the magic happens. That's where the magic happens. This this is just really like because one of the things that I've been doing this year is I I, I really am very good at talking with Christians and I, I I'm close to Christians and you and I would probably differ on only on this and that 
I know a lot of people who have come who who Christianity has been the it's not the it's not the beliefs, it's the community mm-hmm. and the lifestyle has lifted them out of loneliness or misery or you know or or or, or rottenness. And I I'm it's only made them better. And if I took it away from them, I'm not sure they could make it as a as a secular person because there is no there's no church on the corner for them. There's no pastor for them. There's no infrastructure for them. Like people like you and me don't need that necessarily. I create it for other people because like I love community. But like the cold hard fact of the matter is is that there aren't many wonderfully loving, warm, we're gonna make you a casserole when your mother's dying of cancer communities for humanists. Right. Um, I'm trying to change that. That's, so, that's my whole gig. But there are a lot of people I leave alone, David. There are a lot of people I leave alone because in this life, the way things are laid out right now, they're better off staying in their community than being jacked out of it and left with nothing. So, and so, uh, so all, all, I, I, I don't, I, like all, all I'm saying is, is that I, I, I'm not out to to deconvert every Christian I see. Um, only the mean ones, only the ones that it's hurting them or they're hurting somebody else. But, but, you got me thinking. Well, I'll say this. You're right that we differ on that. Uh, and, and I'm guilty of this too, so don't take offense to this. If you're simply ripping them out of their belief, you're doing it wrong. The goal is to... While you are simultaneously asking the questions of challenging the faith, how do you reconcile A with B and so on, you can pepper in uh, this uh, uh, safety net of humanism. Talk about what it is. Explain what humanism is. Not everything has to be a question. Uh, if you want to word it as a question, are you say, are you familiar with the humanist manifesto? Does that sound communist and scary to you? Um, are you familiar with um, these principles of loving your neighbor as yourself predating the Bible? Are you familiar with um, uh, the ideas within humanism of equality? Do, it's do not those the things, ideas. It's, right? it's not the ideas that people people who have grown up in the church. It's not the ideas that they depend on. It's the community. Right. It's the I rituals, understand that. It's the no, music. And you're, and you're spot on. That well. So there are groups who do that. Like you said, there's not a lot. Uh, I would say Kansas City Oasis is probably the best example I've seen. They meet every single Sunday morning. I know. I've been there. I've, I've spoken there. I love that. Yeah, place. it's amazing. I love that place too. We need that you know, more prevalent. I think that would be great. So humanists are doing it wrong too. We should have more of that. That that That's what I'm all about in that world. I'm all about the community building. But but what I'm finding is, is that the people that come to me, and this is the reason I'm so, this is the reason I'm, I'm gobsmacked and so thrilled that you came and talked with me. Because so many of the people that have left the church are struggling with their families. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to have these conversations. So all year long, I've been getting people from all different walks of life and saying like, what can you tell me that you're learning in your world that will help people who are Trumpies and non-Trumpies or, 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 or Christians and, 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 and non-believers? How can, how can we make this a better conversation? And I feel like you have 
unlocked a really important secret part of it, um, which is even when you're trying, it, it, when you're trying to, to release somebody from a bad idea, the best thing to do is not to counter the idea, but to just let them keep talking about the idea until they can hear how bad it sounds. Yeah, I'll I'll give you an, another one, another freebie um, that I use quite often. I, I call it putting on my Christian hat, where if we're going to get into the problem of evil, instead of me looking up the problem of evil on YouTube and seeing what the four debaters have said about it in the last three months, I, I don't want to come at this with any sort of structure. I don't want to come at this with anything that looks scary. What I want to do is put my Christian hat on, Harken back to the days when I was a 14-year-old believer that was a good person who loved my family, loved my neighbors, cared about the guy down the street, and also believed in God and would read a scripture where God had a man's bowels fall out of him for not acknowledging him as God or had a man killed for not in, in numbers, which references Exodus 35 two that someone should be killed for not, you know, uh, for, for working on the Sabbath, for not keeping God's name. Holy, you go under Christian morality as a good Christian boy, God failed to meet my moral standard. Like God, God wouldn't even be a good Christian. How can we worship him? And so, and I'm sure you've heard me say this sentence to several people. I'll say, you have a higher morality than the God you worship. And you know, they've never been offended by that. They always say, thank you. I, I'm, I'm glad you look at me with so much respect, but I think you're wrong. And let me tell you how good God is. And I'll say, yeah, but you would never Lock your you kid burn, in the closet. You wouldn't send Gandhi to hell for having the wrong theology. Exactly. But your God would. Right. And that's it. So so I walk with them in the Christian path, in the Christian faith. I put my Christian hat on. And I had I had early debate mentors uh, saying things to me like, never concede with a Christian. Never say, assuming God exists, and then go. Because then you're in their world. You're in their presupposition. And I fought it for a while, and I found the conversation was contentious, and I could never meet them where they were. So one day I thought, to hell with that. I'm going to put the Christian hat on and walk with them. Let's see how Let's see how it feels in there. And that is such a comfortable place for me to be. Okay, let's assume. Let's assume God exists. Let's assume that God is like a parent. Let's assume there is a father-daughter relationship with with, with God and, and his children. Let's assume that. If your kid said, I don't believe you're my dad, and I'm gonna continue living my life as though you don't even exist, you would be hurt. You would be upset. You would try to convince them otherwise but you wouldn't lock them in a closet and burn the house down because that would be a psychopathic move. But when God does that to people who don't believe in him, you fall to your knees and worship him based on what? How can you worship something that has a lower set for morals than you do as a human being? Walking into that Christian world with him is extremely effective as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, a lot of times when people are married across this boundary, I always say like, you guys have got to become, you got to become respectful tourists in each other's world. Yeah, that's a you great got, way to put you it. Go in, you got to go in there and look around and, and not be like trying to tear it down, but go like, oh, this is France. Like, what, what, why, why do you, 
you know, why do you eat with your fingers that way? Or why do you, wh- you know, why, why do you call it that? And, and just ask questions to know, because like, this is the world that this person that you love lives in and then invite them into your world and, and say, you know, what, what about it doesn't make sense to you? Like, how, you know, t- what do you think? What do you, what do you see here that you've got to become Taurus? I love that. Cause Taurus asks a lot of questions, but they're, they're, they're asking questions to understand and appreciate, not to tear apart. A great example of that, I heard recently, I haven't confirmed this, but I've heard from multiple sources that in Japan, for example, they they will only slice apples. Like they cut apples open and put them in things. They put them in salads or they slice them and put them on a plate to eat them. No one in Japan just grabs an apple and bites it. And they see that as like really barbaric. <laughs> like if you could imagine like just seeing a guy walking down the street holding a cantaloupe and just biting it face first, you'd be like, what is wrong with this guy? Right. It just looks barbaric and lowly and like what he's just, he's just a, you yeah. know, a face in a fruit, like, like a monster. That's how many of them will look at us. Like, how can you just bite into this thing? But as far as our culture is concerned, it's totally normal to just grab an apple and start biting it. So <laughs> it's funny that if all they did is trash us and say you're just a bunch of monsters and and barbarians and just they made fun of us all the time, how open would we be to their culture? How open would we be to their criticism and to their questioning? Because when you get criticized, especially if it's very harshly, you know, I think the human default is to put walls up to protect our ego. Yeah. So we just put the walls up and we fight and we we throw, you know, handfuls of whatever over the over the wall. We don't want to deal with that. But if the person instead were to walk up to you and say, "I've never seen anyone eat an apple like that. Can you tell me about your culture?" You go, "What do you mean? I'm just eating an apple. You don't do this?" No. Well, I think it's weird that you don't. Let's talk. How do you eat the apple? That's beautiful being respectful tourists in each other's world. And I I love that. I think I'm going to use that sentence on the show. Well, man, I, I just, I mean, I know this hasn't gone three hours, but I guess it's because we we agree too much. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do have shorter shows when when I do my comedy podcasts, or uh, I have a you know uh, some politician on who already agrees with me. It, the short the shows are much shorter. Not not every show is three hours, but I I don't want to cut people off if they're you know if they're if no. they're speaking what their truth is and they're being passionate about their. I don't want to interrupt them, you know. Well, I mean, what's what's so interesting to me is like most of the people I talk to, they kind of know me. They, they they like they're they're people in my world, my circle, and um, and so like, and 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 I, I'm guessing that a lot of the people like the 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 Dawkins, Harris, Dillahunty type people, like if they come on your show, their people know you already, and you know their people already. This is really fun for me because like the people that are listening to you right now they don't know you yet. Um, and so I, I guess I, I want you to sort of where, tell them how to find you. Tell them, yeah. tell them what's the best introduction to the work that you're doing and the stuff that you're into. Yeah. So everything is David C. Smalley. Uh, I'm an actor, I'm a comedian, and I'm a podcaster. And I've had the podcast for 11 years, as we said. I'm actually going to be on an upcoming uh, Nickelodeon sitcom. We filmed it back in November. Um, it's a, obviously a kid show. It's called danger force. I'm going to be on episode 18. It's called twin it to win it. 
uh, it's a fun show. It's a fun life. I love being an actor. I love being out here in LA. I love doing stand-up comedy. I've got my own monthly show at the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard, a stand-up comedy show. And I know it's weird because a lot of the shows that I do, we talk about serious stuff. and It's hard to make some of that stuff funny. Uh, but yeah, I do stand up and I, I'm just, I'm more so interested in skepticism, science and having respectful conversations. And that's not to say I won't block somebody on Twitter for being an absolute jackass, uh, because I'm also not, you know, at the complete whim, like I'm not going to let my mental health deteriorate so you can beat me up. There's still going to be boundaries, but, uh, when we can, I try to encourage, uh, peaceful conversations, respectful conversations and people who have claims like I can feel energy in crystals or I can contact dead spirits or, uh, you know, the spirits of the dead. I bring them on and test them with Ouija boards. I bring them on and test them with crystals. Um, I want to test those claims. So everything online is David C. Smalley. That's my website, my Twitter, my Instagram, even my TikTok. It's all David C. Smalley. And the podcast. And the podcast. Everything. Yep, the podcast too. Everything's David C. Smalley. All right. Oh, and I'm, 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 I'm about to join a brand new comedy network called Starburns out here in LA. Uh, it's actually the original. I believe they were the original creators of Rick and Morty. And they do a lot of the voiceovers there for a lot of big animated shows. So uh, we're excited to be a part of that network. Uh, the official announcement hasn't even come out yet, but we're signing the deal this week. And I'm looking forward to that. So look for me on Starburns for sure. Thank you, man. Thank, thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for doing what you do. Um, I'm just really pleased with what you're doing. Well, thanks, man. I, honestly, no, you know, no joking aside. I mean... I, no joking aside, all joking aside, uh, this is one of the best interviews I've had. I, I like the way you ask questions. I like the way you're engaging. I like the way you listen. You're great at this. I, I love this. I wanna, I'm going to go subscribe to this podcast now. All right, so that was it. That was me and David Smalley, and I hope that you liked it. I really do. I enjoyed that conversation. And, you know, a lot of times at the end of these podcasts, I try to leave you with a quote. Often it's Ingersoll, but occasionally it's someone else. And today I've got one that I've been using a lot. Remember, I was telling you I've been around a lot of, a lot of people that are suffering losses right now. And I've been talking to a lot of secular people who used to be Christians who are, who are losing relationships, losing marriages, losing, losing jobs, losing places in the world. And, and, and I'm talking to a lot of people in the COVID thing who are feeling like they're in prison, they're isolated, they're alone, and they're sad. And so in the midst of all this loss, I was especially thinking of my mom who's feeling like really trapped right now. And I, I thought, let me go look at, I looked up quotes that are useful for people in prison. And I came across this one and I think it's useful for a lot of us for a lot of different reasons. And it comes from Helen Keller, um, the author and disability rights advocate um, who was born with, you know, basically as, as, a, as a child after, as, as a little baby, she lost her sight and her hearing and her story is well known. There are wonderful movies and plays about it. But Helen Keller, through the help of a teacher, um, learned how to speak and write and think in a beautiful way. And one of her best quotes is this. When one door of happiness closes, another opens. But often we look so long at the closed door 
that we do not see the one which has been opened for us. I know a lot of people right now who are spending a lot of time looking at the closed door and thinking about what's gone and they can't recover. And I just want to encourage you to understand that even even when the way of happiness that you've enjoyed so much is closed, and I'm not saying the uh, the new way or the new life is necessarily better, it's different, but there's a way. As long as you have life and as long as you have the ability to connect, there is a way of happiness that is open to you and it, it may be hard to find. And it may be hard to actualize, but it is there. But you, you, you may just miss it. You may just miss it if you just can't stop longing for what is gone. And so I just want to encourage you um, to, to not become so fixated on what is past that you fail to keep your eyes open for what is possible. Um, There is a tremendous need for people who have suffered losses and for people who have had to find new ways to be happy after the old ways fell apart to say long and loud and openly that there is hope, not irrational optimism, but there is hope because we can do things that change things for others and for ourselves. So listen, if I'm sending you out there with a little schmarmy, schmaltzy um, hope, guilty as charged, I hope you dug it. And I'll see you next time on Humanize Me. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at Humanize Me Pod on Twitter and Humanize Me Podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search Humanize Me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life.